Welcome to the So To Speak podcast. I'm your host, John Beadle. The purpose of So To Speak is to stir up cultural renewal, to have conversations boldly in public, and to resource individuals to rightly interpret the world around them by first rightly interpreting themselves. Today, I want to talk about gun violence, and I want to talk about reading Russian literature. And um, I also want to encourage you to go on the Facebook group, find out where our first event is on March 16th. It starts at 7 p.m. All are welcome, whether you've read Jordan Peterson's book, 12 Rules for Life, or not. Anyway, let's get back to it. All right, so let's talk about what happened in Parkland, Florida. A shooter walked onto the school campus, opened fire, and it was tragic, it was disgusting, it was terrible, and it's become all too common in our American experience. In fact, when I heard about it, I wasn't that shocked, I wasn't disgusted like I thought I should have been, and that really took me by surprise. And then I realized that it's because it just happens so often. That we live in in an age where this is becoming more and more and more common. And I have a hard time distinguishing between whether or not it's actually more common now than it's ever been. Or if we just have more access to the information now than we ever have. I'm leaning more towards the former, not the latter. And I love what these teenagers are doing as far as their energy around the situation. Their desire to see change happen. And people should take notes, listen to what these students say and what they're saying about not just guns, actually what they're saying about their parents. I recently watched one of these students go on Bill Maher, Real Time with Bill Maher this last week, and say some terrible things about their parents' generation. Just saying things like our parents have failed us, um, sort of painting a narrative of now we're taking these things into our hands. And it's admirable. In fact, it's actually powerful, no matter which side of the aisle you sit on. And of course, the conversation has shifted towards legislation, but sometimes I think that's too soon. And I'm very skeptical of mainstream media because they tend to use these um, tragedies as platforms for politic for legislation. And uh, I think that's just really tasteless. And to say that there has to be this fever pitch of legislation in order to fix the issue, as if that's the main issue at hand, is sort of blind to me. And it also shows sort of a lack of imagination on our part. To think that every answer to the, to the ills of our society, to a society that is producing um, a mass shooter, is somehow going to be in far-reaching legislation that may or may not work, that there's no clear evidence that, they do, that it does work, or that it does change society. And especially if people believe that in a more social constructionist view, which a lot of these students do and a lot of um, um, these media broadcasters believe in, then you would also, if it, then you would also have to say and have to admit that this socially constructed society that we have is also producing these shooters. And so the fact that that is not necessarily part of the conversation, uh, it really just it, it irks me a little bit. Now, I watched these students, and I listened, and I heard what they had to say. I'm a pacifist myself. I don't even own a gun. Um, 
but I'm also skeptical of those who seek control to control the flow of, of, of gun violence by uh, restricting people's access to these kinds of guns. But I don't really want to talk about that. Those things are being played out already. What I really want to talk about is a mindset philosophically, morally, that produces the mass shooter. Many of you remember whenever Columbine happened, we got people got access to their, the journals of these students, what they had written online. And there was this insane hunger and desire that these young men had to put their hands around the proverbial throat of the entire world. There was a desire to do something in the particular, this being their high school, that would in effect quench a desire for them to do something to the wider world. Um, they had an ideology, a belief system that propelled them with their rage. And I was recently watching a movie that really awakened and helped me un interpret what's been happening in the world lately and especially in this last week in a way that really clarifies some of my thinking because I'm very careful not to just go off unhinged on these social issues without first giving myself some time to really learn to articulate what it is I'm really feeling and thinking. And the movie I watched was the masterpiece that is Wind River. Now, if you haven't seen Taylor Sheridan's like, uh, directorial debut, um, you need to see it. It's on Netflix, just, just popped up on there, and it, it is this incredible neo-Western crime noir thriller, you know, sort of this... Um, this detective procedural drama. And it's powerful, it's full of grief and the struggling with grief and how communities in the, in the reservations are dealing with this grief. And, and there's sort of like this also subtext um, social conversation about how Indians on the reservations feel about being on these reservations and what they feel about what the wider society. There's this shot actually in the very beginning of the film, whenever the main character enters into the reservation, the, the, the music changes, it becomes darker, more moody, and you see a, an American flag hanging upside down. And it doesn't beat you over the head with it, but it does give you just enough to show you that, hey, life is different here. Life is different. And given the statistics that we know of, and we know that in these Indian reservations, the, that many of the youth are dropping off constantly. And this is not better portrayed than, than in, the, in this one scene, without giving this, the, the plot away, where the main character, Jer Jeremy Renner, who plays like this wildlife um, tracker, has a conversation with a young man that he's known his whole life, and, um, and this young man has gotten lost into drugs and alcohol abuse, and he's just wasting away. And he has a conversation with him, and in the, in the discussion, the young man says, the young Indian man says, or I'm sorry, Native American man, says, um, I just feel so angry sometimes, like I could just fight the whole world. And he goes, don't you feel that way too? Because Jeremy Renner's character has also encountered great loss. But his character, instead of saying, yeah, uh, instead of agreeing with him, he says, yeah, but I decided to fight the feeling instead because I figured the world would win. And there's that, that nihilistic impulse in that young man that actually a lot of these mass shooters seem to have. 
there's this nihilistic desire to, to grab the throat of the world and squeeze it until it's dead. And it's not just in, expressed in manifesting in, in mass shootings. It also manifests in a lot of ways in, in the way that individuals destroy their own lives. Consequently, begin to destroy the lives of those that care for them. And it's not just simply sadness or depression, but it's a complete um, anger and angst against the world, a rage against one's own existence, one's own suffering. That instead of going after um, the things within themselves that cause unnecessary suffering, and then actually being able to rise up and turn it around in the world and actually be a force for good and order amidst chaos and, for, and the frustration that is existence, they instead feed into it and go all the way. And so that movie really, I saw a shade of the truth that is going on in the psychology of a lot of these mass shooters. And I'm hoping that one day the media will wise up, grow up, and stop showing their faces, and stop giving away their names, and start addressing the deeper issue that many of these Russian writers had already discovered, including Dostoevsky, who saw that when liberalism, meaning the liberal tradition, separated itself from its traditional roots, that it would inevitably devolve into radical individualism or nihilism. This very nihilism that is in these mass shooters, the kind of belief that says that life has no meaning and purpose, and therefore, when you war against life, you war for meaning, you create your own. And perhaps we might grow up. And perhaps this conversation that a lot of these students are trying to have, and that many of us are still engaging with, we need to engage with, would actually wake us up and grow us up. So there's been a lot of talk, especially in those Jordan Peterson circles, a push for people to read Russian literature. Now, if, if you've ever been encouraged to read the Russians, be forewarned. They do not write books shorter than 400 pages. In fact, I recently read a book by Dostoevsky called Demons, fantastic book, that when I got to page 401, I realized that the drama had just kicked in. That it had taken 400 pages just to get really exciting. That for 400 pages, characters had sat around, sipping their cocktails, smoking their cigars and tobacco pipes, and talking about God, atheism, philosophy, and socialism. And I realized that, wow, that took me a while. So the first thing you need to know if you're going to make a foray into Russian literature is that you're going to have to make a sacrifice of time. It's going to take some effort. And the, those authors that are famous, that, that yield the most reward uh, once you actually read their books, you're not going to do it easily. It's not going to be a podcast of 10 minutes. It's going to be hours before you get to the point where you realize that the good stuff is really starting to happen which is the most antithetical uh, thing to our culture at possible, which is why I love Russian literature so much. Well, one of the main reasons. So the first reason that I love Russian literature is they don't give 
a crap about your time. There's no microwaves, okay, around. There's no YouTube. There's no podcast. There's nothing in the information flow that is consolidating all the effort that you need to usually take to engage with some content. It makes you work for it. That's the first thing reason I love it. Anything that makes you work for it and has actual payoff will actually have make you know have payoff in your life. The second reason why I love Russian literature is just so freaking angsty. There's so much rage happening, and there's so much cultural, philosophical commentary going on in these books. I mean, I was re- like I said, I was recently uh, reading some Dostoevsky and reading his book Demons, which is about a bunch of uh, young, fresh socialists who get possessed, ideologically possessed by their political opinions to the point where they reject the sort of classical liberalism of their parents and evolve into rabid nihilism. And they just want to seize this one village and change it for good for the sake of equality and humanity. And in the book, everything goes horribly. Everybody dies. There's blood everywhere. Blood fills the streets. Um, there was a, and this is a lot, a lot of this has to do with the fact that in Russian history, there was just, there was a lot of blood spilled in that history. A lot. And a lot of it um, had to do with the struggle between God and man. And man's perception of God. So that the characters in a lot of these stories are, first and foremost, not wrestling with one another or their relationships. Or even their fathers or their mothers. Or even their governments, they're first and foremost wrestling with the nature of God. And I don't mean God like in the evangelical sense or, uh, you know, in a sense of like they're, they're having long kind of conversations about the uh, virtues of Christianity or whatnot. But no, they're, they're having honest conversations about how, what it means to live in a society in which God is not the center of everything where tradition changes, um, what would happen to the structure of our society if we no longer were bogged down by the, the moorings of a more ancient culture. And this is something that, in particular, Dostoevsky wrestled with, right? And a lot of the Russian authors wrestle with this, which is what happens to a society when they leave God behind. And in this way, it sort of predates the, the famous... Uh, atheist philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche whose famous coin phrase God is dead um, was sort of the afterthought from the Russians and that's why Dostoevsky's famous line of, of um, when he says you know without if there is no God then all things are permissible I think too often the, the new atheists have, have read that as saying that Christians or people of religious or you know uh, emphasis don't believe that atheists have morals or a moral center which is which is complete garbage. That's not what we're saying. And that's not even what Dostoevsky was saying. What he's saying by that statement in The Brothers Karamazov, which is the the novel where it's from, what he's saying is that when a society loses its hold on the ancient, lets go of the divine, uh, the divine spark within creation, uh, within the human heart, that all things are all of a sudden wide open for restructuring, and that may seem like um, a social constructionist wet dream, but in reality, is a terrifying notion. 
Nietzsche understood this many years after these, that these, after Dostoevsky was writing. Nietzsche understood, which is why when he said God is dead, it wasn't a happy pronouncement about the state of things in society. It was a terrifying statement of reality that was going on in the culture. Because for him, if it was true that God was not real, that there was no God, the, the implications on society would be extremely costly. And the fact, and to him, the fact that atheists were not running around beating themselves in the head and screaming all day long because of this revelation was unnerving to him, was even more unnerving than the idea that, of millions of atheists running around screaming in the, in the streets. And so if you're going to read Russian literature, I suggest starting small. Read Dostoevsky's Notes from Underground. Or, you know, read something like, read like Tolstoy's shorter, short stories. Read his collection, The Death of Ivan Illich. And go further, further, further up and further in, and you will not regret it. I highly recommend Alexander Solzhenitsyn's work, probably the greatest Russian writer of the 20th century. The Gulag Archipelago is well worth your time. But all things considered, just recognize, think for a second, the state of our society, the things that happen, are not just the result of a lack of our ability to organize ourselves socially. They're also the result of ideology and worldviews that we possess, that we don't realize we possess, that motivate us and challenge us and push us in certain unconscious directions we didn't realize we were going in in the first place. My hope is that people would actually wake up to this reality all around them. Wake up to the, quote, unseen in that way, no matter what their belief system was. And take a, quote, unquote, prophetic approach to their faith, whatever that is. And learn to speak truth to their situation and then to each other. Thanks for listening. You know, I don't make these because I think I have all the answers. I'm making these because I want to start a conversation. I don't want to end one. I want to deepen a conversation. So if there's anything that you hear in this podcast and you disagree with, go ahead and comment on the episode itself. Leave me a question or leave a thought. I want to hear what you think. It's not an echo chamber. It's not something that is designed to be a one-person declaration or I'm not preaching to, to you or to anyone else. I have a desire to create an environment in which people can really say whatever it is that they feel and think. And that way, and in that, they learn how to think. Because it is in the, think, in the speaking that we actually realize what we believe and we develop the things uh, that we know uh, might be true. And so, so to speak, does not exist to tell people what to think. It exists to be um, a steward of that of that kind of environment, that kind of desire. So if you like what you heard today, go ahead and leave me a rating on the iTunes. Just subscribe and be honest. Don't just leave a five star. Leave me what you think I deserve. And I would love to see the interaction. Anyways, go on Facebook, search So To Speak, um, add us, and, um, and then we'll see us on Twitter at at speak underscore official. Once again, my name is John. Have a good day.